0: All right, West Side. First John chapter four. If you're using that Pewback Bible, it's on page 11:24, if you haven't made it to the index yet. When you get there, please look up at me and say, "He has come." All right, The focus of our text this morning will be verse nine, but we're going to read verses seven through nine. Um, and if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word this morning if you're able. First John chapter four, beginning in verse seven. "Beloved. Well, we are glad that you're here, and turn to your neighbor and say, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It sort of hit me this Sunday, and uh, during the first service, like, Jesus has come. Like, this is fantastic, man. This is great and this is good news. And so here at Westside, we celebrate what's traditionally been known in church history as Advent. And the great thing about Westside is we got people, of different streams of faith and didn't grow up in church and didn't grow up in church. And Advent is just the Latin word that means the coming or the arrival of something significant and important. And so we build anticipation as we stop our service and light the candle and walk through this time of year and look back at the promises that that God said that He would keep and do in the person of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we look forward to the second advent or the second arrival of Jesus Christ. And our theme this year is we are looking at um, the Apostle John, who walked with Jesus and hung out with Jesus and was Jesus' buddy. And in 1 John, he makes a number of statements um, and very clarifying statements. And he says this phrase, For the Son of God, or the Son of Man, or Jesus Christ came, and then fill in the blank." And so each week we've been looking at one of these statements. Why did Jesus come? Why is Advent important? What is Christmas really all about? And the first week we said, uh, we looked at when John said that he came to take away sin. And we were like, that's real Christmassy sin, you know, and we said that Jesus came to take away sin by taking on sin, and we looked at how he's eternal, second member of the Trinity, and just all of these credentials that he had, and then last week, it was like probably one of the most un messages ever in all the world, and we gave you little dragons um, for you to take away, and we looked at what John said, and he said, for the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. It's my favorite Christmas verse ever of all time, right? And we read in Revelation 12 the cosmic nativity scene with the dragon. And so we had you take these little dragons home and put in your nativity scene as a reminder that Christmas was a declaration that the powers of darkness have been destroyed by the person of Jesus Christ. And this week we see that John makes another statement. And he says that God sent his son, little parentheses, Christmas, Advent, incarnation, woo-hoo, to give us life, that we might live through Him. And so maybe as an introduction to help us, Um, on June 23rd of 2018, this year, um, I was, like a lot of you, glued to the TV, and there was a story that was progressing and unfolding over a number of days, and it ended up being actually 18 days and it all began when, a tw- when 12 members of the Thailand soccer team and their coach after practice walked down to a local cave and then some monsoons and the rains came and trapped uh, the Thailand soccer team there with their coach. And this became just a worldwide sensation. And it was a race against the clock is why everyone was watching. For these guys were in deep down in this cave and the waters and the flood waters were separating them. But they were running out of oxygen, literally minute by minute. And this thing just took off. And when I did a little bit of research, the rescue efforts involved more than 10,000 people, including a hundred divers, rescue workers, representatives from about a hundred governmental agencies, 900 police officers, 2,000 soldiers, and required 10 police helicopters, seven police ambulances, and more than 700 diving cylinders filled with oxygen and they pumped, more than a billion, with a B, billion liters of water out of the cave trying to get to this team and this crew of people that were there. And they had maps and they showed everything that was going on and there was a minute-by-minute and hour-by-hour update. And then the news came back that there was one fatality, not from the Thailand soccer team, but from a Thai Navy SEAL, 37-year-old former Navy SEAL, Salmon Kunin, and he was 37. And he died on his way back from bringing the team oxygen tanks. And if you know anything about diving, you, they don't want you under for a long period of time, your body and then running out of oxygen and everything. And this man was underwater for more than 30-plus minutes and wiggling through cracks, and lost his life on the way back. And, and the world sort of just stopped and paused watching this rescue mission. And you can actually Google it now. It's called the Tham Lang Cave Rescue Mission now. And I think the reason why is because our hearts long for a rescue mission. Or, when something like this is happening, we, we stop and, and we saw that people were trapped and there was darkness and there was death looming. And, and then the greatest human sacrifice came in and, and somebody gave their life in order to give life to these people. And I would argue that that scene is actually much more Christmassy than probably what you and I even think about when it comes to Christmas. Think about it. There was people who needed rescuing and saving, and they were in darkness, and many people joined together, and one person even gave their life to try to give them life. In 1 Peter, there's a very interesting verse that says that the salvation that believers have is actually so beautiful and wonderful that angels peer over and long to look at the gospel news. And so when we see 100 governmental agencies, 10,000 people, but then we look at Christmas and we see that literally heaven itself pulled out all of the stops on the greatest rescue mission. And theologians actually have a phrase for this when it comes to the mission of God. It's called the Missio Dei is the Latin phrase. And it means the sending or the mission of God. Now, look at your verse. 1 John 4, nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent His only Son into the world. You see, that's Christmas. But it's also a mission. It's also the mission of God. And so here's the thesis today and the big idea. It's this, that Christmas was God's rescue mission to restore us back to life. That's what Christmas is. And what we're looking at at each of these statements of John is, it's so great that, that we can't really just summarize in one sentence why Jesus came. What is Christmas? Well, it's, it's not like there's one verse in the Bible that says, this is it, and this explains everything, but rather there's, multifaceted, there's multiple statements because this news is so wonderful and powerful that God is literally on a rescue mission to save humanity and bring them back to life. But if we're saying that Christmas was a rescue mission to restore us back to life, what we're also saying on the flip side of that coin is that we were lost and didn't have life, right? That if God came to give us life, then that insinuates that we did not have life. And what I love about Advent is, and I was actually speaking with another pastor um, a couple of weeks ago, and, and I said, man, just from pastor to pastor, I feel like every Advent and every Christmas, it's difficult because I feel like I'm constantly saying the same thing over and over and over again. And, and the pastor said, you, you are. And you should, right? Because this is, a great, this is great news. This is a great message. But, but every year we, we get to look sort of 30,000 feet at the message of the Bible because Christmas unfolds that for us. And what we see is that God's original plan in Genesis 1 and 2 was that he would share life with his creation. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, created in the image and likeness of God. But rather than worship God and love God... They fell into the lie that they could go around God and be their own God. And see, that's fundamentally what's wrong with you and I and the human condition. That's why um, you don't have to teach a little child to have a little meltdown and throw a fit. Isn't that amazing, right? Right? And, and, and babies primarily have two uh, defense mechanisms that I like to call. One is the wet spaghetti noodle, where they're not going to do anything and they just melt and turn to Jello, or the stiff as a board. I'm not going anywhere. I am not going to sit in this high chair or any of that. But it's it, it's amazing, right? That that nobody had to teach them that. Um, like I'll never forget when when I Roman had his first little meltdown. Roman never saw me when Courtney told me no. Just melt down, just sort of like a, you know a wet noodle or something. Maybe once or twice, okay, right? But why? Why? Because listen, listen. That's that's revealing the brokenness in the human heart. That when you tell me no or I can't have my way, I want my way and I demand my way. That's the fundamental human condition. And what we see in Genesis 3 when their eyes were opened and they realized that sin entered into the world and they rebelled against God, there's this little phrase. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. (laughs) This thing is so interesting, isn't it? Oh no, here comes God, the creator of the trees. Let's hide in the trees, and then he won't see us. It's like a little kid playing hide and go see. You can't see me, right, right? And it's like, you're like, that's dumb, because sin makes you do dumb stuff, okay? But then verse 9 says this. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, question. Did God know where, where they were? Yeah. Why call out? a sign of relationship. That's a word, man. Where are you? And for some of you, that's, that's God's word to you today. Where are you right now? Where are you in your marriage? Where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Where are you in life? Where are you? The mission already God is on mission. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? And then we see this. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Death. No. Death. That's the great enemy of humanity is death. Um, Always tell kids this, hey, go back and tell your teacher, tell your math teacher, your science teacher, your physics teacher, that you have a full proof a foolproof statistic that will never be proved wrong, and it's this. One out of every one human beings die. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Right? It's the great equalizer now, and it's all around us. Just this weekend, I was at a funeral, death, and we're reminded There's something in us. It doesn't matter if they were 80, 90, 100 years old and lived a great life and went peacefully in their sleep. There's still something in us that goes, I wish this wasn't so. And so it shows us that sin equals death. But then at the end of Genesis 3, it says this, and he drove the man out and he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, which is an angel, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life there it is there's our theme life now oftentimes people are like well that's mean that God drove them out of the garden well if you understood the rest of scripture God cannot be in the presence of sin the psalms teaches us how habakkuk says that he cannot even look upon sin but it's actually an act of god's grace and mercy that if Adam and Eve would have ate of the tree of life, that they would have lived perpetually and continually in a forever cursed state. And so God drove them out of the presence of the garden, symbolizing a breach in the relationship. And then he put a ninja turtle angel right there, symbolizing that the way back now to eternal life is protected by a sword. But Christmas is the fulfilling of the promise of life. And what we're going to see today from this verse is literally the domino effect that Christmas has. And I don't think you've ever thought about it this way. That Christmas was God's rescue mission to get us back to life. It wasn't so much cozy as it was risky. And what we're going to see is how the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all had this together. And the first thing that we see from our verse is this, that the Father sends the Son to give us life. It's right there in the verse, 1 John 4, 9. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. You're like, wow, Jason, you just reworded the verse, and that's the point. It's amazing, right, that when the points come from the Bible, it's right there. But look at the words that John uses. God sent His only Son into the world. Um, The word sent there is actually where we get our word apostle. And it means messenger, someone who represents something. So sort of think of like a U.S. embassy. If you're in a foreign land, if you're in the Middle East or if you're somewhere and you're an American citizen and you step on the soil of the U.S. embassy, that is the representation of the United States of America somewhere else in another country. And what's so crazy to think about is the nativity scene in Christmas was literally the representation of heaven here on earth that Jesus is God's messenger, very God from God, very light from light. But then it says, sent his only son into the world. Only son is the phrase where we get the English monogamous from. It's a big Greek word, meaning one and only, exclusive aspect of this. And sent, God's mission, that the Father sent the Son. But then it says this, that we might live through him, through him, that Jesus is the source for our life. So what does all this mean? Well, um, I did a little bit of research this week, and it's okay. To, you, you, I want you to shout out and answer, what do you think that the United States of America as a whole, all households, all population, spent in 2017 last year on Christmas? Totality, one huge number, just start shouting them out. Let me know. What do you think? Shout it out. Fifteen million? Okay. Some, somebody said something over here. Eight million? Any, in, anything else? Any, in, any other numbers? Any other numbers? 50 billion. Fifty billion. Okay. All right. Well, according to the National Retail Federation, you can look this up, in 2017, the United States of America spent $680 billion. With a B. With a B. And they break it down basically... From nine hundred dollars to about fifteen to seventeen hundred dollars a household. So when you buy the paper, wrap all that when the paper's back in the trash, which always blows my mind that people buy like the Hallmark wrapping paper. Are you kidding me? Right? I'm gonna rip that thing open, all right? Wrap it in newspaper or something like that, all right. And by its all said and done, $680 billion. Now, then it comes down to you got to have, you know the, white, the, you know, the white elephant gifts. And then we have to set a cap and don't spend this much on Christmas. Oh, I can't believe you bought me that, right? And in reality, somebody actually spent and like got you something nice and you got them like underwear, and what you do is you're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you got me this. I got you something, but I got you something else, too. Amazon just messed up, and it's coming later. <laughs> Don't act like you ain't never done that, okay? It's supposed to be Amazon Prime, and you're over there, like, buying something else. Like, they just bought us Alexa. This is unbelievable, right? And then you're like, and then the grandparents, and then who are we like to go to Mimi and them over there because I got a PlayStation. Or, so, you know, like, and there's always the, the, the price tag that comes on at Christmas and stuff. And what we see by the Father sending the Son to give us life, it's cheesy, but I think it's true, is this God spent the most at Christmas. That's the point. That's the point. You're not, listen, you're not ever, you can never outgive God. Ever. You can never outgive God. And what John is showing us is that this was costly. This was expensive. And this is actually, Jesus tells us this about his ministry. That the reason Christmas happened, that the incarnation happened, that the birth happened, is that the son was born to die. And we don't we like to clean that up and hallmark that and lifetime that up. We don't like to talk about that. But Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, for even the son of man did not come. There it is. Why did he come? He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We talked about last week that the ransom was was to buy us back. From sin, death, hell, and the brokenness and the breach of the relationship. But here's what's interesting it's all through the Nativity and the Christmas story. We just don't look hard enough. Do you know what Bethlehem actually means, the word? It means house of bread. And then Jesus would say in John 6 that I'm the bread of life, that you have to literally eat my flesh, but that I must be broken in order for you to be blessed. Even the place that he was born was the foreshadowing of how costly Christmas would be. But not just that. They wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a what? In a manger. You know what that actually was? It was a feeding trough. Now, why would you lay a baby in something that symbolizes where people get life from? They eat from that. And it's the idea that Jesus' body would be broken for us. When he says this is the cup, the blood that is spilled out in the new covenant for you and for me. And this bread is my body that's broken for you. You see, the Father sends the Son to give us life. And Westside, listen to me. There is no other name under heaven by which a man can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. There is Life nowhere else except the person of Jesus Christ. That's the domino effect of Christmas. That it was the foundation of everything that the Father sends the Son to give us life. But then we see another domino fall. And because Jesus came, the second thing we see is that the Son sends the Spirit so we can live life. So now we have it given to us, it's paid for, it's offered. Somebody died so you could live, but now we need boots on the ground application of that. And Jesus tells us this in John chapter 15 when he's speaking to his disciples. I'm sorry, John 16. But now I am going to him who sent me. Do you see how we're following this thread through the scriptures? God, The Father sent the Son to give us life, who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go I will send him to you. One author put it this way, and I think it's great. Oftentimes when I speak with people about living this Christian life, and I'm, I've been swearing I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do a sermon series sometime called Hashtag The Struggle Is Real. Because the struggle is real, right? I mean, just the day-to-day grind. And oftentimes I think that we think in our hearts and in our mind, man, if Jesus was right beside me in the business meeting and when I was having the conversation with my wife, or talking to me, I would not have said that. I would not have done that. It would be so much easier if Jesus was literally holding my hand and living right beside me every day. And Jesus said, no, it's not. It's actually better that I go because I'm sending the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And one author put it this way, the Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Wow. Do you really believe that? Do you really know how incredible it is? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, verse two, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the depths and the darkness. That Holy Spirit. Then the Apostle Paul picks it up and says this in Romans 8:11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Yeah, the 9 a.m. responded that way too. I just don't think you understood what I just read. Okay? That's like, that's the problem. That's what I get 40 minutes on Sunday, 45 if I'm mad at you, to let you know and to wake you up to the incredible news that Christmas tells us. So I'm going to read it again and I need you to respond, Amen, or I'm going to preach angry the rest of the sermon, okay? The Spirit of God. Third member of the Trinity who raised Jesus from the dead, the resurrection, right? That was a big deal. Like our whole faith depends on that. Who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life, there's the theme, give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. It's like the Apostle Paul was so excited that he had to say the Spirit's living in you twice. It's unbelievable the domino effect that Christmas has. And so we see really that this idea is that we live first and foremost through Jesus. That's what John says in 1 John 3, 8, that we might live through him. And here's what's interesting. The live through him is in the continual present tense in the original language. And for the two of you that even cares what that means, it means this. That as long as Jesus is alive, which is going to be forever because he beats sin, death, and hell. As long as Jesus is alive, that's how good and long your salvation is. Woo! That's some good news. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes there's days where I wake up and I don't feel safe, bro. And if you had a conversation with me, you would really question if I was or not. But praise be to God, this statement is true. What I know always beats how I feel. And salvation is not just a feeling; it is a fact. And you can take it to the bank. And why is the resurrection such a big deal? It's because God offered us life and gave us life, and Jesus paid the debt, as we'll learn last week, through his life and his death. And the resurrection symbolizes that the check cleared and there was money in the bank, and you can take it. And so that we live through Jesus. So, days when we wake up and our marriage is down in the dumps and things aren't going well, and the kids did this, And the in-law and then the job and all of that. One thing that we can do is we can grab our Bible, hit our knees, and say this statement, what I know beats how I feel. And today I know that Jesus lives. And because he lives, I live through him. So we live through Jesus, but then this we live for Jesus. It's the whole point. It's like the message of our church should be it's all about Jesus or something, right? And what Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it's the only time Paul gets really personal. And he says, this life that I now live by faith in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That means this, that if Jesus is Lord and Savior over your life, you don't negotiate with Jesus. I think that's what a lot of us do. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, Kairos, Lord and Savior of my life, baptism, buried with him, raised with him. That's great. But Jesus, I have some terms and conditions, right? So my wife and I made the trek to AT&T this week. Oh, Lord Jesus. Talk about needing to know I was saved before I went in, Right? And if you work there, it's all great. It's horrible. But anyway, it's fine. I know it's not you. You're not at and I understand that, right? You just work for them, okay? But it's always, and finally I had to tell my wife, like my wife likes to win, okay? She likes to win. And finally I just looked at her and I said, babe, you're not going to win in here. (laughs) They win. They win all the time, right? But there's terms and conditions. And then if you opt in and do that and you can go. And a lot of us think that that's what our salvation is. That as long as I come once a month and then serve every other three months in the nursery and then do this and all of that, then with the kid and then I can negotiate and then we want the house and the thing. And then Jesus is an accessory rather than a necessity. We live for him. So God gave you money so that you could handle money in such a way that people go, you don't love money, you love Jesus. God gave you children so that you live in such a way that people see you parent your children and they know that those children are not your idolatry, worship-centered life, but rather that you love Jesus by the way you parent your children. Are you following with what I'm saying? That we live through Him, we live for Him, but then this truth, we live with Him. This is the life that we live with Him. 1 Thessalonians 5.10 says that we live this life with Jesus. And when I talk and when I meet with people about not feeling this relationship and not knowing and then doubt creeps in and all that, could you imagine that if you said, hey, tell me about your marriage and your relationship with your wife? I said, oh, man, we have a great relationship. Um, I wake up in the morning, and I have this little book that has one little line from her, and I read that little line, and then I write down and ask her to do tons of things for me all the time, that this, this, and this, and this... And then if things kind of get crazy throughout the day, I'll contact her again. Um, If we get bad news, then I'll go and I'll speak with her. Every once in a while, we do team projects together, but it's really just to make me feel good about myself. But other than that, we don't really spend a lot of time together. You would go, you're weird, bro, (laughs) right? And your marriage is weird. But what's sad is I described some of your relationships with Christ. And we wonder why the intimacy and, and the love and all of that's not there. Because it's a relationship. It requires cultivating. So we live life with Jesus. Jesus wants to experience your joy, your sorrow, your heartache, your peace. He wants to live life with you. And that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Christianity is a supernatural life and God has made no provision no provision for you to live the Christian life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. So all of the disciplines of the faith when it comes through prayer and Bible reading and living in community and serving and doing all of those things, we don't do those things so God will love us. Those are evidences and disciplines of the relationship because we know He already does. And the Holy Spirit is... Is the helper that Jesus said. Um, in high school, I had the opportunity to land the, the lead role in, uh, in theater, which was Tartuffe. And so um, it was this 17th or 16th century London Victorian language. And I was Tartuffe. I was the main dude. And he was a shyster and a swindler. My poor drama teacher, man. Um, the night before opening night, I was such a slacker and so lazy. I still had my file folder reading all of my lines like the night before opening night, and she would just had an anxiety attack. She was like, oh, dear Lord, Jason, are you going to be ready? Are you I was like, yeah, sure, I'm going to be ready. And, and I still remember um, the love that attaches us to eternal beauties does not stifle in us the love of earthly things. <laughs> so take that, shouty. You know what I'm saying? I still remembered it, okay? But in theater, somebody has a role, and it's called a prompter. A prompter, you can look up the Oxford English Dictionary definition. A prompter is someone who stands on the side of the stage, unseen, unnoticed, and they shout out the lines when you forget them so you know your marks and your cues. That's the Holy Spirit for you in the Christian life. Many of you are so anxiety and worry ridden about the holidays and sitting around a table and it brings up all the emotions of the family conflict and this year somebody's not going to be around the table and what's going to happen in all of this. Listen, good news today. Christmas is a domino effect. The Father sent the Son to give us life and the Son sends us the Spirit to live life. And in those moments, the Spirit of God will prompt you and lead you in this path. But there's something else that doesn't just end there. Right now, this is kind of all God which is probably good news that God handled, I don't know, 100% of our salvation. That's probably good news, right? But now we see the next aspect, and it's this. The Spirit sends you to share life. You see, it's, it all starts with, with the Father, and He sends the Son to, to give life and to pay it. And then the Son sends the Spirit so that we can live life. But then the Spirit now sends you And in Acts chapter one, when Jesus is leaving, and now we live on this side of Acts one for the second advent, the second arrival, Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Do you know why I believe that this is true and why I believe that it's true literally? Is because this happened over 2000 years ago to a band of misfits of a hundred plus men and women who worshiped a guy who rose from the grave. And here we are in Popper Bluff, Missouri in 2018 and we have our Bible open and we're talking about Jesus. Don't tell me that the gospel doesn't work and that the gospel doesn't spread. We are living it right now in this room. And listen, the mission starts with God. It's sustained by the Spirit. But here's the deal. It continues with you. The mission continues with you. You have a role in this. And isn't it like the creator of the cosmos? Don't you think that he'd have had a better plan than you and me? (laughs) I mean, this is crazy to think about. That he entrusts us with this. And there's a domino effect that happens. So, 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 so here's what, if you don't think that the gospel spreads, here's what I think we have to do. I think we have to go to the deep end of the theological spectrum. we got to read some deep theology. we got to look to deep theologians about this idea. And, and, and my favorite Christmas theologian is Buddy the Elf, okay? <laughs> deep doctrines of God found in that movie, Right? Well, what does Buddy say about um, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to what? Right? You're like, parents, you were like, for an hour I wanted to escape that movie during Christmas holidays. But here we are. But you know what? Buddy's right. Christmas and the message of Christmas spreads. The gospel spreads. It's contagious. And if you don't believe that that's true, listen, every time that we have a baptism service and a man or a woman or a child gets in those baptismal waters and they profess Jesus Christ, as Romans 10, 9 says, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you would be saved. And I ask them, do you declare Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life? Yes, I do. Do you reject your old way of life, the enemy, his workers and their effects? Yes, I do. And when that happens and we have a baptismal service, you can bank on on it, that in a couple weeks I'll have a message or I'll have a coffee date or a meeting with someone and they'll say, I sat in that pew and I watched my brother, my sister, my husband, my wife, my friend, my family member profess faith in Jesus Christ. And when that happened and they came up out of that water, I felt as though God was speaking to me. Listen, God's pursuing people and God is chasing after people. And if you don't believe that this is true, I know some of you guys are like, dude, you didn't go to Bible school, you didn't go to seminary. That's cool. I have some science for you today, okay? Some statistics as to what the effect of the gospel is. Men, look up here. Listen to this. When a mother comes to Christ, her family will join her at church only 17% of the time. But when a father comes to Christ, his family joins him 93% of the time. So who's getting who ready in the morning? All right? This provokes a response out of me because I see too many men wasting their lives in passivity and video games when there is a mission on the line. It is time for us to step up and to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Listen, that, that's not speaking less of women. West Side's doors would have closed if it wasn't for a remnant of faithful women who loved Jesus Christ and left those doors open because passive men went to the wayside. This is the effect. So when I stand up and I preach and I go anywhere, I'm chasing after you fellas. Because what I see is when that happens, the domino effect happens. This is true. The gospel spreads. The second statistic is this. This is incredible. 80%, 82% of unchurched people say that they are willing to visit or attend a local church or small group if invited by a friend or a family member. Unbelievable. 82%. Oh, you got a cookout tonight and some church friends are coming over and hanging out? That's awesome. Oh, you got a Christmas? Oh, that's fantastic. You guys don't like believe in that snake stuff or anything, right? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, then I would love to come and I would love to hang out. Listen, it's unbelievable. This dichotomy of, oh, I'm going to be persecuted. Somebody's going to unfriend me on Facebook or something like that. It's just not true. It's not true. People are willing and receptive. And it starts with connections, with relationships. But the last thing is the most sad of all. Through LifeWay research, seven out of 10 unchurched people said that they have never been invited to church or a small group or had a conversation about faith with believing friends. Listen, if your coworkers or family members one day look at you and go, wow, I had no idea that you were a Christian. That's a problem. There's no undercover agents for Jesus. We don't wear camo, bro. You're the light of the world. This spreads. That's why we don't have a ton of programs here at Westside. It's not all of this idea of inviting and doing all of that. We want to invest in you. You can go places, this sermon or anybody can never. You, you go to work, you go to school, you have the kids, you have the family, all of those things, you are the missionary. Why? Because Christmas tells us That Christmas was God's rescue mission to restore us back to life. So, I've got three application things that you can leave here today and use. And here's where they all come from. They all come from the incarnation, right? Well, Jason, that's a big word. So it's mayonnaise and mocha frappuccino, okay? We're going to learn some stuff. But here's what's crazy. We don't have to separate deep theology and application in our life. So this idea of God coming, Emmanuel, God with us, How does this affect, how can we leave here today and be on mission, the missio day of God? The first thing is this, go to them, don't make them come to you. What do you mean by that, Jason? Um, I don't know, let's look at the Christmas story, because God came to us, Emmanuel, God with us. So thumbs down on all programs that we think are going to get people here and do all that. And, oh, got to get here. And you need to meet my pastor. And you need to have a cup of coffee with my pastor. And you need to set up a time with my pastor. Hey, bro, how about you have coffee with them? How about you pray for them? How about you hang out with them? My prayers don't get to heaven any faster than yours do. Go to them. Be on mission at the workplace That's why we want to do stuff in the community. God meets us right where we are, but he doesn't keep us there. That's why we borrow a phrase from another church that says it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. So Jesus meets us where we are and then takes us to where he desires us to be. Go to them. Go to your friends and family where they are. Secondly is this, being missional means being intentional. Here's what I mean by that. If God was on a mission and he sent Jesus Christ, everything was in order. Bethlehem, house of bread, the census for Caesar Augustus, all of that. We're going to look at a scripture in just a second that says, when the fullness of time had come, everything was intentional. Have you ever seen a bride planning her wedding? I mean, it's intentional. I mean, we're talking from the dress to the color of the flowers. That shade of pink is a little too harsh. I like this on Pinterest. Let's do this. Let's do, I mean, everything to the little centerpieces on the table with the glitter stuff that gets on everything because glitter is like sin. It just attaches to everything. You need the blood of Jesus to wash it off. I mean, even to the hashtag, you know, I mean, everything about the wedding is planned. It's intentional. That's how we should live our life. So many of you will go out to lunch this afternoon, and you'll have a server. That's a human being. They have a name. They have a family. Be intentional. Many of you get coffee at the same place at the same time every morning. You see the same people. Be intentional. That's what Jesus was for us. That's what we're going to be to other people to continue the mission. And then the last thing is this. You have to make deposits and withdrawals. That's how all relationships work. And we err on either one. What I mean by deposits and withdrawals is this. We love people, we connect with people, and then we present the gospel and we ask them with our mouth moving, looking at them in the face, not through a text message or some track bomb that you're sliding across the table, and you ask them, hey, do you love Jesus and do you know Jesus? That's a withdrawal. But you have to have deposits with that. And here's what everybody tries to do, and it's what my generation does about making deposits. Well, I love them. You said go where they are, so I'm at the bar hanging out with them, and you're just as drunk as they are, right? It's pretty hard to share Christ with someone when you're sleeping with them. It it went over the same way in the 9 a.m. too, so that's, that's not deposits. Okay, you're as lost as they are. That's not a deposit. A deposit is loving them, having dinner with them. Invite. I mean, those are deposit. And then some of us, right, need to make withdrawals or deposits. So some of us are making too many deposits. We're actually just sinning as an excuse for that. And then some of us need to chill out on the withdrawals. Because Christmas time's happening and, and when they sit around the table and they mention, oh man, life's tough right now. And you're like, yeah, life's tough because you're sinned. And then you wonder why they don't want to spend time with you. We were in St. Louis, Missouri, and there were two kids, Alex and Luke, who had been praying for their dear friends to come to youth group. They had been investing in them. These kids were on fire for Jesus, and they were just praying, praying. I mean, open, like anybody, any prayer requests, and they would pray for these kids. And everybody knew this group of kids and all of that. And they came one Wednesday night. We were doing a big evangelistic event, and, I mean, we were praying, and we were super excited. And I walked into the gym, and it was like, it was like a war had just happened. These boys came in and they didn't grow up in church. They didn't know all the traditions and whatnot or whatever. And an older person in the church got a hold of those boys and scolded them for wearing their hats inside the gym, inside the church. And so I lovingly brought her aside and I said, Hey, I don't I don't think these were your intentions. But these kids have been praying for these kids for about three months, weeping over them. And you have just undone in three seconds what they have invested in for a long time. So where are you at? Is it deposits? Is it withdrawals? And we get all of this from the mission of Christmas. That it's to restore us back to life. That this is what all of this is about. As the band comes and leads us in a time of response, you have this Outline of an angel in your bulletin. You got that? I saw last night um, an angel tree. You guys know about the angel tree, right? It um, is a ministry of the Salvation Army. It's actually um, a, a prison ministry. And so traditionally for the angel tree, you, you take an angel and there's a kid's name on it and some gifts that they want. And that child's parents, uh, one or both, um, are, are incarcerated. And so this is how you sponsor sort of a kid so that they can continue and and experience Christmas. As I sat and I looked at the tree and I thought about Christmas was a mission to restore us back to life. Sometimes we get very sentimental and, oh, Christmas is a time for, you know, to do for others who don't have as much. And that's great. And that's awesome. But I think we first have to realize... Galatians says this, in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, the mission, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because we have received the adoption, he has now sent his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, at Christmas time, God rescued us. And when I saw that tree, I thought of two things. And here's what I want you to do as a family. You can do one of two things. You can decorate this, draw more, do all of that. And you can write your family's name like the Jordans. You can stick it on your Christmas tree at home. And when your kids ask, why is that angel there? And why is our name on that? You can say, because Christmas was God's rescue mission. And God adopted us. Before we ever do anything else, we have to realize that God rescued us first. And then, for some of you who are much more bold and want to continue in the mission, you can decorate this as a family and color this and do all of this, and you can write somebody's name on there. Somebody who's far from God, somebody who doesn't know about the life doesn't know about the grace and the love and the mercy and the peace that Jesus Christ offers. And so every time you're walking by that tree or on Christmas Day when you're opening and you see that angel hanging there on the tree, let it be a reminder to you that Christmas was God's rescue mission to bring us back to life. The Father sends the Son to give it to us. The Son sends the Spirit so we can live it. And then the Spirit sends you so you can share it. Christmas continues with you. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and God, I ask for two things. I ask that you comfort those who need comforting. Just the struggle and they're on mission and their hands are weary and their hearts are heavy. And God, I just pray that you would let them know that you've got it. That God is in control in this place today. And we see that in the person of Jesus Christ. So God, may you comfort them and assure them. But God, also I pray for conviction in this place, godly conviction that leads to life and action. There are many of us who know many people who are far from you. And may today we realize that we were rescued at Christmas, that all of heavens and all the troops to offer such a great salvation to us. And may that continue on as we continue the mission that first started. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.